Bridge Bank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. Bridge Bank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridge Bank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara, and welcome to The Bay, local news to keep you rooted. And it's time for our November news roundup, that time of the month where I sit down with the rest of the Bay team to discuss some of the stories that we've been following this month. I'll have y'all introduce yourselves. Hi, this is Alan Montecilio, and I'm the senior editor of The Bay. And I'm Maria Skinka, and I'm the producer for The Bay. And we are, I feel like, in kind of the middle of holiday season. I feel like a lot of people are definitely feeling like, let's just get to the holidays, y'all. Yeah, another busy news month. We had APEC in town. Was APEC epic? I'll let you all decide that. The news cycle keeps going, but for a lot of people, too, it's it's just uh, trying to get through the last few weeks before the winter holidays. And it's cold. <laughs> It's Bay Area so cold. cold. It is so cold. I just want to like stay in my bed and cuddle with my big old cat. It's Bay Area cold, but it is cold. <laughs> it's cozy season. It is. And this is also probably going to be our last news roundup of the year, actually. Um, and so let's kick it off. Alan, I want to start with you. You got some good news about Bart and Muni, which I feel like we don't get much of these days. Yeah, good news for people who like transit. Bart and the SFMTA and transit agencies across the region have avoided the devastating fiscal cliff for now. Basically, the state legislature approved $1.1 billion for transit agencies across the state, $352 million for Bart. $308 million for Muni for the next two fiscal years. This has, of course, been a huge problem, especially since the pandemic, which really impacted services like BART. So what exactly is this money going to do? Essentially, my understanding is this is just there to keep services afloat. Ever since pandemic relief funding ran out, and frankly, ever since 
the pandemic caused such a huge drop off in ridership. You know, agencies that are so reliant on fares are just facing huge budget deficits. And so without money to close those gaps, uh, agencies would likely have to make major cuts in service. That would probably reduce ridership, which would probably reduce revenue, which would probably result in cuts to service and on and on and on. Okay, so this sounds like a lot of money that's going to help the agencies for now, but are there any strings attached? Yes, and I think this is the interesting part of it. In order to access these funds, all transit agencies, not just BART and SFMTA, have to do a few things. Uh, One is that they have to continue to follow through with efforts across the region to basically increase coordination among all the transit agencies. So there's already work around things like getting the schedules integrated, changing the payment system. We're going to be soon moving to a system where you won't have to have a clipper card to pay. You can actually use your debit card or credit card. They also must submit reports on what they're going to continue to do to improve public safety. As we know, that's been a major concern among many riders. And then there's another provision, which is specific to BART, which is that they must complete their work on replacing their fare gates, more than 700 fare gates. Specifically, and this is a measure to stop fare evasion. So BART is and, and must continue to replace them with fare gates that are bigger, that are basically harder to jump over. They have to complete that work by 2025. So these millions of dollars, they're going to last until 2026. But what, what is going to happen to these agencies after that? Well, the timing of this is interesting because this money is allocated for the next two fiscal years. It's not a long-term structural solution to keeping transit agencies afloat. It kicks the can down the road. Many people, including members of the Metropolitan Transportation Commission, which is the agency that oversees transit in the Bay Area, have already floated the idea of a ballot measure in 2026 that could raise up to $1 billion for transit agencies. So essentially, BART and Muni especially, are kind of on the clock for the next few years to make these improvements, to basically make the case to the public, we've talked about this before, that, hey, we should continue to fund transit. Uh, Who knows, right? Uh, In 2026, maybe people will say, hey, like, you know, BART and Muni, are back, it's clean and feels safe, and uh, maybe people will want to reward that. Or maybe it won't. This is sort of the beginning of what I think is two to three year window for transit to really, I think, make the case to voters and to legislators that transit should continue to be funded and that taxpayers should continue to help keep the agencies afloat. Well, definitely something we're going to be following here on the Bay. And also, I wanted to just shout out Dan Brecky, our transportation editor here at KQED, who's actually got a new live blog about transportation news and everything that moves in the Bay Area. It's called In Transit. We'll also leave a link in our show notes to that new blog. All right, Alan, thank you so much for that one. Coming up after the break, we're going to talk about a proposal to pay working inmates more in California prisons and Tupac Shakur Way in Oakland. Stay with us. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more 
Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hi there. I'm Randad Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. Maria, I want to move on to you. What story have you been following this month? So a story that I've been following is a proposal by the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation, commonly known as CDCR, and they're proposing to increase wages for prisoners. What they have is a pay schedule, and this pay schedule is divided based on the way they categorize skills, and they're starting at the lowest skill from $0.08 cents an hour to $0.16 cents an hour. The highest wage increase we would see is people that get paid $0.37 cents an hour would get paid $0.74 cents an hour. What are these wages for? I assume they're for jobs. What kinds of jobs are we talking about? Yeah, so we're talking about jobs that people do in state prisons, and that can vary from maintenance jobs to custodial jobs to food to clerical service. And based on all these different types of of jobs, people are categorized into various um, skill levels or, or specialized kind of skills, and that determines their wages. And so what this proposal will do is double it for every skill level that people are are categorized in. Why is this happening? So CDCR is saying that the reason they're proposing these wage increases is to help workers retain their jobs, that it will help support their rehabilitation, that it'll give them greater buying power. And some prisoners have to do what is called restitution payments which is money that they pay back to the state for their crime. And so they're also arguing that this will help them meet those payments. Okay, so Maria, this is what CDCR is proposing, but what do advocacy groups think of this? Farida Javalat Romero, who reported the story for KQED, spoke to Lawrence Cox, who worked as an inmate in California state prisons for seven years. The jobs I uh, did were behind the wall in the kitchen. Uh, helping prepare food for the entire prison complex. Um, I did janitorial services, sanitizing the area, the showers. Um, he talks about what people use this money for. Food. I need hygiene. Um, of course, they feed us. But if anyone that knows that's been there, the food is deplorable. And he also says that this proposal is shameful. This sort of increase is still nothing, that the money that they make in prison was already not enough to cover any of these things. He talks about how people in prison want to also support their family and that the wages that they make already are not enough. And this increase is really, in his words, shameful. To continue the practices of exploiting individuals is is deplorable. Like it's to, to give me an increase in 16 cents. I still, I still can't do anything with that. Well, I guess what do you think we should make of 
this story then, Maria, I mean, we we really are still talking about nickels and dimes here, people getting paid, I mean, like not even a dollar an hour for their work. Yeah, I think uh, I also struggled with like how to interpret this because I think at face value, it seems like increase like proposal to increase someone's wages seems like a great idea. But um, I think like critics who are following this story who work in prison reform or who advocate for um, prisoners call this proposal grossly insufficient. Um, They also argue that they're not sure how people in prison will even make more money because part of this proposal is to cut most of these full-time jobs into part-time jobs. There has been a lot of criticism about prisons in general, and there has been a lot of conversations about abolition. I think this story scratches at the surface of conditions that might seem to better the lives of prisoners. But at the end of the day, we're still talking about a pay schedule that has remained unchanged for the past 30 years. And so I think we're it, it sort of returns us to the same place where we began, where there's people that are like Lawrence that reject the idea that this is going to better the lives of people in prison in any way. And so I think it forces us to, again, think of what would actually better the lives of people in prison and what do people in prison actually want. And lastly, we have my story out of Oakland, where earlier this month, uh, in a star-studded ceremony, Tupac Shakur Way was unveiled near Lake Merritt along a portion of MacArthur Boulevard, where Tupac Shakur lived in the early 90s. There were a bunch of folks there, E-40, MC Hammer, uh, and even members of Tupac Shakur's family, including his siblings. So Tupac, born in New York, uh, but I think a lot of people also probably know about his Bay Area ties. I'm sure some of that came up at the ceremony as well. Yeah, I mean, like you said, Tupac was born in New York City, but he lived in a bunch of different cities throughout his life, like Baltimore, famously Marin City, Santa Rosa, Richmond, Los Angeles. But Tupac kind of famously claimed Oakland in a 1993 interview as the place where he says that he learned the game. Uh, the game. It's not even one person. The game is just in. The game is it's like in me. It was in me. Somebody just awoke it. Somebody just woke, woke it up inside me. You know what I'm saying? Like they're like a religion. And I just saw it. And I saw it in Oakland. I saw it living in Oakland. I saw it thriving in Oakland. And that's, that was never no other city I lived in. So I give all my love to Oakland. If I'm a claim somewhere, I'm a claim Oakland. So this effort to name a street after Tupac was actually spearheaded by his sister, a council member, Carol Fife, hip hop historian Leroy McCarthy, and one of uh, Tupac's closest friends, Ray Love, who really talked about how Oakland had a huge influence on his artistic development and also his political mindset. Um, His mom was part of the Black Panther Party. His friends and family say that Oakland is really where the birth of hip hop was based for them, um, especially around 
Digital Underground. Um, and also, Tupac famously sued the Oakland Police Department in 1991 after they allegedly slammed and arrested him for jaywalking. He just has a lot of roots here. And as you heard in that clip, he gives all his love to Oakland. Tupac is also really known for his political outspokenness. Um, I'm curious how you're thinking of him in a moment like this as well. Yeah, I mean, we've seen a lot of other hip hop legends being honored in this way all around the Bay Area. We had E-40 in Vallejo. You had Too Short in East Oakland. And at the ceremony, you heard a lot of people really wanting to honor Tupac's importance to Oakland, but also hip hop culture at large, especially in this 50th anniversary of hip-hop this year. And council member Carol Fife actually talked about how the naming of this street honoring Tupac is really about preserving some of what Tupac was trying to tell us back in the day. He said Oakland gave him his game, right? And it's done that for a lot of us, right? It's done that for a lot of us. So let's remember the game that it gave. And let's remember we got to pour into our city. We got to pour into solutions. We got to pour into what we know he stood for, regardless of what the press and everybody else was trying to We loved him. This idea of really kind of pouring into solutions at a time um, where there is just so much conflict going on in the world um, and really honoring some of the things that he really stood for. All right, and this is again probably our last news roundup of the year. Um, Maria, Allen, and I, we really tried a new thing with this, so we'll probably keep doing them next year. Hope you liked them as much as we did. Did y'all enjoy doing these little roundups? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> no, it's been fun. It's it's nice to to shake up the format a little bit, uh, and, and to make more space for for more stories. Yeah, and it's always nice talking to the two of you in person and chatting. And I hope listeners enjoy it as much as we have. All right, Alan and Maria, thank you. Thank you. Thanks. And I'm Erica Cruz Guevara. The Bay is a production of member-supported KQED in San Francisco. Thank you for listening. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. 
special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks.